Welcome to Ethereal Underground. I'm your host, TNT, and this is episode 47. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago I was going to have a series of guests, and we got our schedules lined up. And tonight, this afternoon, episode 47 is one of those where I'm very excited to have a special guest, Rachel, with us today. And I've been looking forward to this. Like I have all my guests, I really feel honored to have them on Ethereal Underground. But I really enjoy these unscripted interviews because I want the real person to feel comfortable and then speak what's on their mind. And you can do that when it's unscripted. So we have Rachel, and just like I asked all the other guests, whatever she feels comfortable sharing with us, so we can get a little perspective of her background, like maybe what generation is she? We don't need her specific age, but what, what generation is she? Where'd she grow up? Like what part of the United States? Does she have any brothers and sisters, siblings? Are her parents still around after high school, for example? What did she do? Did she go off to college or become an entrepreneur or join the army forces? Who knows, but get that background. And then we'll just get right into her thoughts of where we are today as far as a society, where she think we're heading as, as a human race. And what is of interest to her, maybe things she likes, things that she doesn't like, and so forth. So with that being said, Rachel, welcome to Ethereal Underground. This is episode 47. How are you? And then I'll let you give a little background and let you talk for a little bit. Fantastic. Thank you so much for welcoming, welcoming me to the program. And yeah, I'm just honored to be here. I love the guests that you brought on and I'm really honored to be in their same company, although definitely don't have nearly the scientific or just extraordinary backgrounds. I'm a bit ordinary perhaps, but I'm yeah grateful to be here and can yeah happily share a little bit about my background. So what, so, yeah, what, where did you grow up? What generation are you? A little bit about your family background? Yep. So I was born and raised for about 10 years in Virginia on the East Coast. I am the oldest daughter of three children. I have two younger brothers. My my brother that is closest in age to me is a day less than a year younger than me. So we're, I guess, considered Irish twins. And my other <laughs> brother is about a year and a half younger than him. So yeah, my Mom is very fertile, I'd say. <laughs> I don't think she planned to have three under three, but that's just how it turned out. Okay, so you're you're the older sister? I'm the older sister, yeah. Okay. So you said 10 years in Virginia. Then did, did you move yeah. like, still in school? Right. So we left in the summer, packed our van up, drove across the country with our bird and hamster, who unfortunately did not make the overseas trip, but we landed in California because my dad owned a home in the Bay Area. And so he was just kind of coming back to this rent, this home that he had been renting out for about 10 years. So we had a place to stay and had a pool. We were 
very excited to be in California and have a pool in our backyard and kind of embarked on this next journey. And so I've been living in California since then with a intermittent stay in Nevada for a few years and now back in California. Okay. So when you, when your family moved from Virginia to California, were you like still in elementary school? Right. I think I was nine or 10. Yeah, exactly. Pretty young. I, I remember the move and remember, you know, getting, getting adjusted to a new school. We went to Catholic school, all of us, me and my brothers, K through high school, actually. So we went to a very small private Catholic school and then to an all girls private high school. And then from high school, I knew I wanted to be down in San Diego and went to college university in San Diego after high school. Oh, okay. So you went to an all girls school. Did your brothers go to an all boys male school? They did. Yep. It was right across the street. Yeah. So the first two years, it was not co-ed. You were just having classes at your all girls school. And then your junior year, senior year, they decided we should have some, some socialization and some mixing. And so you could have classes at the other campus, but I, I really enjoyed actually that, that environment. I grew up Catholic, not very Catholic. I would say, I mean, we'd go to church on Sunday, but we, I did like I did like the religious institution and the caring, loving environment and the lens that through which I was able to kind of view the world through this, through this kind of religious lens a little bit. So you, uh, a lot of the private Catholic schools, I know the ones that I was familiar with and growing up, I had, had some friends, especially male guy friends who went to Catholic schools. Did, was yours the school where you had the uniform right. required? Yeah, required uniform. Yeah, which is fantastic when you think about it, not having to think about what you wear each day. I mean, I'm trying to institute that now for my family. There's a daily uniform. You've got some, you know, color scheme or some kind of general, you know, outfit for the week and then the weekend's free. So yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the uniforms. Although I think it definitely put me back a bit in terms of style wise. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't too stylish, but that was fine. But I I think one of the one of the aspects I'd say probably on the pro, the pro side of uniforms is at least you wouldn't, let, let's say, cause I went to public school in first first grade through high school. I, I only went part of my senior year and then I graduated early and went into college. I was 17, but in unlike public school and private school, I think that would help, especially because if everyone's wearing the same uniform, you don't necessarily have the, the rich kids and poor kids as far as garments. Right. In high, in high school, I, I would say the, the public school I went to, which back in the day in the 80s, showing my age, it, it was it was a very good school. I'm glad I, I went there. But you could tell the difference between the wealthier kids and the poor. And I was more of a poor side, I guess, if you were to put me in the category. And you, because you could tell by the fancy clothing. Right. And I think that's, that's kind of hidden if it's, if there's a uniform in a public school, that uniform is somewhat of an equalizer. I probably would have enjoyed that aspect because I knew I didn't have as fancy clothes as everyone else. So I was a little self-conscious. 
Yeah, I think in grade school, it absolutely was. It just, we weren't really focused on that. It was just, yeah, school and friendship. High school, it definitely helped a bit. I think the, what, you know, it ended up being, oh, who's, what, what car are you driving? That kind of would tell you, you know, what your, you know, what your status was, if you want to say it that way. And similar to you, we were on the, you know, lower, lower class, middle class, lower to mid class end. And my parents really both had to work full time and extra to, to send all of us three kids there. It was a sacrifice. We didn't have anything else extra. It was, that was our kind of gift was that we got to go to this private school and, you know, we drove our gray van and it was kind of embarrassing, but that's all that we had. And uh, we just, you know, tried to just not think about it too much, I guess, but fortunately created some great friendships that I'm, that I still have to this day. Now, I know in some of the, I'm just referencing, I don't know if it's normal nationwide, but I, I grew up in St. Louis and in the private schools, they weren't cheap. So I know they were ex expensive. And a lot of the kids that I hung out with went there. So I got along with them. But in, in St. Louis, those schools, they required you to participate in one or two sports. It was kind of part of the, was your school like that? Did, did you have to do sports? No required participation. Our the male school across the way was was really known for football, and so it was it was kind of a sports school. I I kind of tried different things, swimming, and then found my way with cross country and track, and so did those two sports every year, and kind of found my my kind of knack there. But uh, yeah, it wasn't a requirement, but it definitely definitely kind of made me. Yeah. More balanced, you know, not just sometimes I think with these schools, the focus is a lot on academics and it, with the private school. And so having an outlet after school to, you know, just get physical was, was important. And I'm glad that I, glad that I did that. Well, if you, if you did track and cross country, did, are you a, would you consider yourself, were you kind of a long distance runner? Or yeah, what? with cross country, it was a, yeah, the races were three miles and we would do all different things to, for practice, you know, hill sprints or, you know, five or six mile runs. And then track was the 800. So two laps around the track. Yeah. Do you, I don't I haven't been running at all recently. I just feel like my knees took a, took a hit after I ran a few half marathons, but do you run or have you, are you a long distance runner, Weston? Well, I did my, the primary sports in, in high school, I, I did football, but I did swimming. So we had a, even though we're a small school, we had a very good swim and dive team, boys, the male swim team. And I did backstroke. So I qualified as a state backstroking, but wasn't ranked very high. Got blown out of the water, literally by some real good athletes, but my main sport was hockey. So Mm. I played hockey most of my life, but when I was younger, during the early years in hockey in high school, I did do a lot of running and I, I was pretty good in the one mile. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what, I don't know if he's, that's not too long. It's, but it's not, it's not the sprint. So I, I, I was not super well, fast. You've got some endurance. Like I mean, if you're, if you're playing hockey, you, you know, you've got that good endurance. So yeah, a mile is, yeah, it's four laps around the track. It'll take you seven or eight minutes or maybe a little longer, but yeah, that's a mile is depends if you're trying to run it fast, or if you're just kind of going for long distance and just to get through as many as you can. Yeah. So running and what I do to this day, even though I, my kids consider me an, an old fart cause I'm in my fifties. I still, I, I run three miles. So I do three mile runs like every other day. Wow. 
So I, that's my stamina is, is three miles. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that your primary like workout during the week or health activity during the week? Yes. So I, 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 I either do that or Saturday, for example, it was nice weather and I did a six mile hiking at a state park, six mile. So I wasn't jogging, but it was a brisk walk for six miles. So it's, it's probably some it, rolling hills. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a mountainous area. So it's, it's a good hike. And that was a good workout. It was a beautiful day, Sunday, temperature wise, a lot of people on the trail. So That's I'm fantastic. I either try to do the five or six mile walks or the, the jogging th three miles just to maintain that. And then that doesn't hurt my knees. Right. Yeah. They say, you know, walking hills up incline, there's the new 30 minutes and not that it's new, but that seems to be on trend right now, walking for 30 minutes at like a 3.0 rate to get your heart rate up. Um, yeah. Just to have good heart health. That's on my, on my list. I'm thinking a lot about longevity. Well, my husband is, and I'm kind of getting it wrapped, getting into that fold. And on that note, I started doing, started this breath class followed by a cold plunge and sauna. So although it's, it's not super physical, you do really feel your body being, being worked out. And I'm kind of, you know, your lower back sore the next day from some of the breath work. It's super interesting. Have you, have you tried anything like that before in that realm? No, I haven't. I haven't done that. That's what I think is fascinating. Is that the, what's his name? The Wim Hof? Yes. The Iceman? Right. <laughs> where he's able, that's, that's phenomenal where he's able to control his breathing and the cold temperatures and regulate where he's really got it down pat. I guess he's known worldwide for that with his books and classes. That's no, but I have, have not done that, but it'd be very interesting. I always tell on this show, Ethereal Underground and then the Outer Limits show that I have on Rogue News there with V. I always talk about spending how important it is 20 to 30 minutes. It's it's really the, the sweet spot is from 30 minutes or 40 minutes and longer. I know it's hard for a lot of people to do, but if you could, I'm probably preaching to the choir, you and your husband <laughs> don't know this, but the listening audience, man, if you can adjust your schedule to where you're 30 to 40 minutes daily outside to be grounded, mm -hmm. Even in winter, because we we have we have cold temperatures in Missouri, uh, we always get two weeks where it's single digits, zero, one, two degrees Fahrenheit, mm. and but I still manage to try to get twenty to thirty minutes walking or jogging outside. And if it's rainy, same thing. Mm. I have certain shoes that I don't care if they're going to get wet, where I can dry them out. But I'm even in the rain, to to be out thirty to forty minutes in nature, I think is highly important year round. I always, always push that, try to encourage people to do that. Absolutely. It's, I mean, that was one of the kind of sad things, you know, about COVID was this idea of just being inside all the time when the truth is that, you know, we were just healing and thriving outdoors. And like you said, whether it's just taking in, you know, the air and nature and the, what the trees have to say or grounding and having our feet on the dirt and the soil, you know, I think I used to be more of a put your shoes on when you're outside. And now I, with myself and my, my two daughters, 
I really encourage when we're at the park, when we're outside, take the shoes off and run around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's good to know. 40 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes is a sweet spot. I hadn't really time stamped it, but that's, that's a good gauge. Yeah. And I, it, it could be doable. Maybe it might just be a matter of, can you get up that much early, maybe before work, or could you squeeze that in after work? But 40 minutes is definitely doable, but it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the past three years, I don't use this, the trigger words yep. anymore, but, but I think we know what we're talking about. To me, that was very evil, very dark. I'm not going to put right. words in your mouth, but it, when, when governments or townships said you can't go to the beach, you can't be on park benches or be out in, in nature, I'm like, this is this is not good at all. I mean, I talk about red flags or warning flares going off. I go, something with this is extremely evil to where one of people locked up and not be able to jog without being questioned or billy clubbed or tasered in, in Australia or other mm-hmm. videos like I'm like, something's not right here because that's that's how you get healthier sun exposure right. and being connected to nature not being locked up and told you're going to get in trouble if yeah you the fear was the fear was just so thick that yep. the rational brain I just think couldn't see that coming. Now, thankfully there were a handful of people like us sprinkled about that perhaps were just kind of natural paranoia people or just kind of questioners that, you know, thought initially, this isn't right. This isn't right. And I always just thank my motherly instinct that that really kicked into high gear. And we, we tried to live as if that wasn't, that didn't exist. So we found trails and paths and fortunately we were, we were in Nevada and it was a little bit, very easy to get outside. Oh, okay. So yeah. Because, oh, I don't know how to be, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice here, but so you're, because California to me, Seem seemed like California and New York were like two of the worst states during Absolutely. that three-year three period where it was a total dictatorship and alien and bizarre. But I don't know. I could be wrong, but I look at those two states and I'm like, what is going on? So the, you were in Utah, was it? Or Arizona? California Nevada. and then Nevada. Yeah. And, Nevada, Nevada right. wasn't near as bad. It wasn't. And we traveled yeah. back to California and it felt like at times two different worlds. Yeah. Entering one place where there was a lot of precaution and, you know, fear with, you know, everywhere around and from billboards to just conversations that were being had and just the energy. Honestly, I just felt the energy more than anything. You know, we, you know, do the three hour drive back to the Bay Area and just felt, oh gosh, yeah, we, we can't be here too long. We need to. And that's just, it's not being, I don't think it's being mean or rude. It's just calling it what it was, or that was at least our experience. We were very grateful to be surrounded by nature and in a place where we felt like we didn't have to really experience what was going on. We could kind of shield our our daughters from that and we were successful. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I didn't mean to get you off track because you were mentioning after high school, this private schooling you and your brothers went to, you said you, you went to college in, in 
Southern California? Yep. I went to San Diego State in Southern California. Oh, okay. And then what, unless I'm being too nosy, what did you major in or what did you study? No, not at all. So I studied political science and communication. I was very interested in the workings of our government, our local government. I worked for a a lobbyist firm to kind of get my feet wet and a state assembly member, the chief of staff. And so was, yeah, very heavily involved in politics. Even in high school, actually, I I joined a youth and government organization for two years. And it was kind of, it was a mock government program where you got to take on the roles of various political, you know, roles and act them out and put forth a bill and see what it, what it takes to get that bill, you know, approved. And so, yeah, that was kind of what sparked me in college then to pursue political science. And then the combination of communication, just understanding how to be an effective communicator and leader. And yeah, I had a fantastic experience, mostly because I think the the semester system was really worked well for me. I think I could have gone at a little bit of a faster pace, but it just allowed me to have a lot of hobbies and extracurriculars so that I was enjoying school and classes, but then diving into and, you know, finding other groups to have like practical applications of what I was learning. How many credit hours would you take per semester? Would you take like a standard 15? I take, I would take anywhere between like 18 and 21. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you packed, yeah, that's a lot. That's, I did that. I did between 18 and 20 and the, and the schools that I went to, and that was like killer pace. Mm-hmm. You got that. Were, were you on the quarter system or were you on the semester system? Sem- semester. Semester. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, uh, there's a couple semesters. I averaged 20 credit out and that, that about killed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. but okay. So you did that when you, graduated in your school there in Southern California. What did you, did you get work related to that degree right off the bat or what did you do once you graduated? Yeah, so I graduated and at the time, my senior year, I was, one, I was studying for my LSATs because I thought I wanted to be an attorney and that was going to be my application and I ended up interviewing 20 attorneys and they all told me not to do it. (laughs) They all said that they were (laughs) kind of miserable in their career Mm -hmm. and that if they could go back in time, they would work or do something else prior to jumping in. And, uh, you know, the universe kind of blessed me perhaps. Well, at a time I didn't think it was a blessing, but I didn't get into a program that I really wanted to get into Mm -hmm. and I was going to settle and do, do something else. And then I thought, no, I I think I'm going to, you know, heed the advice of these attorneys and I'm going to try something else. So I was working at this lobbyist firm and getting a really interesting vantage point of what local politics is all about. And, and actually wasn't really liking that as well. I just found it to be just a lot of paperwork and like nothing really happens. And you show up to these, you know, city council meetings and it's a lot of who, you know, and so I was, I was kind of a bit turned off after a year of, of working a year and a half of working in local government and said, I'm going to just kind of be open. So I got referred into this boutique real estate group in San Diego, commercial real estate group. And so they were doing our the particular group that I joined was doing commercial multifamily properties. So they, they would get these amazing listings, you know, any, any of these apartment complexes in, in SoCal, right. From 20 million to hundred million. So these are really big, really mm-hmm. big deals. And I was kind of a marketing admin person for that team. 
So great job. Great first job out of college. I got my real estate license quickly when I realized that I can earn some extra income if I had my license. And I just really enjoyed, you know, doing, doing more and learning more. I would take photos of the property and do property write-ups. I learned a lot about the areas that these apartments were in and did, did write-ups and helped market and just learned a lot about the, the industry. And this was right. So gosh, I joined, I joined in 2007. And then of course, shortly thereafter that we know what happened, what's coming, what comes right. The recession and the years that follow. And yeah. Uh, so that, that group kind of, you know, weathered that storm. But after, after four years there, I moved back to the Bay Area and pivoted to another, another industry. But those were my first four years after college at a commercial real estate firm. What, because I'm not too familiar with California. So you have to pardon my ignorance, but from your perspective, you've spent a lot of time there. The Sandy, San Diego area real estate. I, I know it's a beautiful area. My sister lives there. But as far as California goes, is is San Diego's that area considered like the top three or four expensive areas to live in California? What's how's real estate in San Diego compared to other California? Yeah. I'd say that's probably correct. And, you know, this year has just been changing quite a bit. I don't know if you've been tracking what's going on in San Francisco, but, you know, that it's, really it's, was. <laughs> it's collapsed, hasn't it? I yeah. see like crime and gangs and unsanitary streets and homeless. I, I, unless I'm just getting a very biased, but I haven't physically been there. But my impression of San Francisco is it's it's lost. The city's collapsed. Yeah. Morally and. That's our, that's our assessment as well from having driven through it, you know, the last year and, and having a few friends that still live there, families that are really fighting, fighting the city just for, for the things that they, you know, deserve to have like, you know, clean streets and all those things that you mentioned, just crime being addressed. It's just like the city has, it's, it's kind of wasted and it's probably going to need a really good period of time to figure out its identity and who it is and then may have a, a rebirth. It was this, you know, tech hub, you know, with a, with a great, let's see, I don't, I don't even, I don't even really say it was, had a great food scene. It was, it was, you know, a decent food scene, I'd say. And, uh, but it, it had some charm, right? But I'd say it was mostly known for being this place where all the techies were, were living and moving to. And then now after the mass exodus, yeah, a lot of families, especially with remote work, they've, they've moved out and moved into the suburbs or moved up to Idaho or moved down to San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, I just know a lot of families I'm meeting here in San Diego, so many are, 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 you know, are families moving from the Bay Area, not San Francisco, especially, but just, you know, it's San Diego is popping up on the scene as a, as a more desirable place because historically a lot of the job markets were really more focused on research and marine life being by the water. There's some really fantastic marine facilities and then really real estate. So if you wanted a great job in tech, you were up in the Bay. And so now with remote work, it's, it's just changed all that. So it has become a very desirable place to live in California and, and the costs have come up. I think with interest rates changing, you know, there was just such a wild peak and all this Bay Area money coming in, people paying cash, you know, 200 over asking and just, you know, it was just wild. And everyone was kind of turning their heads like, what's going on? So that frenzy, I think, has, has calmed down a bit and is stabilizing as, as the world evolves and everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. 
I thought of a I thought of a funny joke while you were describing that. Mm -hmm. Or to me, to me it is. I don't know. It's corny. Do you want to hear it? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so you said people were offering two hundred over asking price. So right. the first thing that came to my mind is being from Missouri. I'm like, wow. So they offered two hundred dollars over asking price. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, oh she my means gosh. 200,000. Yeah. 200,000. Yes. <laughs> to be clear, 200,000. An entire home. You could purchase a home with that amount of overage, right? I mean, especially in other parts of, of the state in the Central Valley, or it's just, it was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. I just, to me, it was kind of a culture shock, but also the finances. There is no way on planet Earth I could ever afford to live in San Diego. It's impossible. I might be able to afford one of the dumpsters in the back of a vacant circuit city. Right. Yeah. Maybe. But uh, yeah, it's, I don't know how people survive out there with real estate costs and the cost of living. It's, it's a different breed of people for sure. Versus, you know, I'm a Midwest guy. So it's, it's much slower pace, which, which, which I like. And then the cost of living is I don't know. It's got to be one sixth, one tenth of what it is in California. Yep. You know, we say we pay a premium for, you know, living outside 24, 24, seven, you know, 24 days, seven days a week. I mean, that's this ability to be outside all the time is, is why there's such a premium um, for, for real estate, in my opinion. I mean, there's just people surfing and hiking and, just outside everywhere you look and and there there people are happy down here as well and i think with a lot of this you know organic local farming and people are really hip to you know farmers markets and eating really healthy healthy food and it's it's a good a good location if if you're into that now the tricky part becomes yeah your your cost of living is really high and then there's this kind of people working all the time and then are, how much are you really able to enjoy your life but you know, I've noticed, and my husband and I have noticed this as well. It, it's just a different energy on here. When you go to dinner with friends, and we were at a dinner last night, three hours, or last week, or the week before, two and a half hours with friends. We didn't talk about work for one minute of this two and a half hour <laughs> dinner. And that would not have been the case in, in, you know, in the Bay Area or San Francisco. We were talking about where we had traveled and, what, you know, plans and how we want to raise our children. We've just been so refreshed with just a different perspective of living down here. And perhaps it's just taking a break from that super tech work. What are you in for work? How are you showing up for work? And it's, it's you know, we, we have we definitely were in that space for a long time ourselves for a decade, my husband's in private equity and, you know, he's, he's always thinking about work, the wheels are turning deals. And I've, you know, I've been in that space as well with, you know, real estate and then financial services and crypto. So, but I think it was just kind of a welcome break from all that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Would, how do you, how do you, you know, manage and balance such a demanding, you know, career with also just living your life and being in the now? I mean, I think that's, it's really an important question we all have to think about. Yeah, people ask me that, but I'm I'm such a strange anomaly. I I kind of hesitate explain it because I'm really really bizarre and out there. I <laughs> people tease me. I'm my nickname is Beaker. Remember Be Beaker on the Muppets? Yep. <laughs> the lab assistant. He's always catching on fire. 
<laughs> or Beaker. Everything happens. To, so I'm kind of like Beaker, but I, I, I didn't used to be this way. I was very active in, in sports. And when I was younger, I it, very interesting. I accidentally got into modeling because of in high school, the girl that I was dating uh, got me into modeling and that was fun to death for four years. And I was very social, very comedic. I was the, the funny kid in class in high school and college, always cracking jokes. And, but the older I got, I became more and more of a recluse and I kept to myself and I do a lot of reading and research and I'm out in nature, but I don't have a social life anymore. I really don't have a circuit of friends that I hang out with. So I'm just really an oddball. I, I spend a lot of time in the lab doing science research, nature walks, thinking, reading, and hardly go on, on vacations or, or go out to eat. But I find my life, I don't have any debt. Maybe you're the same way. I thought that was very important to get out of debt. I didn't want that ball and chain around me. And then that, that freed me up to be able to think. I do a lot of thinking. So I, I'm going 5,000 miles an hour. And sometimes it's hard for me to get to sleep because of mm. these com complex theories and research that I'm working on. But if you, and I want to talk more about you, not necessarily have the show about me, but if, if I had a technology where I could go back in time or see the 18, 19 year old jet blake and tell him hey you know you're going to end up like this there's no way i would have believed it hmm. wow. I was 18, that... 19, that i would turn out the, the way i am now i'm a completely different person i don't know good bad or indifferent i don't know it's just it happened that way it is what it is but i got to a point and then i'll let let you talk i got to a point where my thinking is so bizarre and out there i can't relate to anyone anymore like mm -hmm. I, I, to me, I can't, I, I can't engage in a conversation. I used, I played professional hockey for, for many years. When I left in 1992, I've never watched a hockey game or been to mm. one period. I, I, I could care less. I'm a completely different person than the eighties and nineties. So I don't know what to talk about because common yeah. topics, if it's the economy or government politics, the geopolitical, even the environment, maybe a little bit about the environment, but the topics that I enjoy when I, no one else can relate to. I can't have any conversations unless I have conversations with myself or a handful of scientists I work with. They're Max Planck Institute affiliates worldwide, but they're so busy. We, we're only able to chat once in a while, every two or three months. So yeah, I've, I've turned into a, a recluse. Not, not quite the Ted Kaczynski, you know, where I'm, <laughs> The Unabomber. I'm not quite that bad, but right. I've definitely changed. If anyone that I grew up with in the 80s and 90s, we were to have a reunion, they would not, they would not believe how I've changed. You'd be unrecognizable. Yeah. I looked this. Well, I looked, they could tell by my face. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't changed too much there. But as far as the popular kind of popular kid and joking around and always active and social to that, they'd be like, wow, what happened? Hmm. Well, there's, there's a few things that I, I think about when you share that. The first is that, I, you know, I think we are creators and we're creating, we're creating our reality and you've tuned into and tapped into this creative 
outlet that requires a lot of, you know, mental capacity and focus to, to execute. And you, you're channeling that, you know, for, for the better good, for, you know, the good of humanity. And so I, I kind of think you're, you see the, this, this, this need and in a way it's, it's kind of being of service, but it's also filling and authentic to you. And I hope that more people can, can find that alignment. And yeah, it doesn't mean that we have to all have a bajillion friends. You know, I've been off social media for a few years now. I just, it's so, I can't do it. I can't keep track of all these people. I would much prefer to have, you know, you know, have very close relationships with my family and a handful of friends and really foster those. It's just too overwhelming. So there's always, you know, the polar ends of these things, right. Being a total recluse and not, you know, connecting, you know, with anyone or family, but, and then there's the overly social side where you're neglecting your health and yourself. And I'm, yeah, I don't think you're totally off the the deep end, but I can also relate to your comments around these surface conversations and then really going deep. I have also not distanced myself, but just put some space or put up my bubble and knowing that I really, you know, want to have these engaging conversations and have to seek them out with people like, like you or your, your sister, or, you know, people that have this, one, I guess, just awareness of what's what's going on, and then an interest in exploring it and talking about it. I mean, you're, you know, most folks would say in my in my circle of family friends do not know the depths of what you and I know about what I think is going on in the world, or would think I'm crazy for even thinking it, right? So, but it's kind of what I want to talk about. I want to talk about spirituality. I want to talk about God and contrast and AI, and you know, and it's just what lights me up. It's what lights us up, and I think. We've been hypnotized and to indulge and lulled into sleep, especially when the television came in. That was a really big, you know, television, right? It programs, you know, we can kind of really think about those play on words there. But in reality, I think it's, it's been a bit of a hypnosis and we're, some of us are coming out of our slumber and there's no, no need to kind of, for me at least, you know, push people anymore. I, I used to want to just say, come on, let's, don't you see this? Can't you, doesn't this make you feel a certain way, you know, and is angry or happy or curious. And, and usually the reaction is just like, you know, nothing. And so I just thought, okay, well, I'm getting all worked up because I'm so fascinated by this and no one really else is. So what, what do I do? So I, I kind of find my, I've, I found my soul tribe, a few gals and gents that we can connect with. And I think I've learned to make it a priority to connect with them on that soulful level to recharge my, my batteries. And then just being a mom is is busy. So it kind of is a good, it's distracting, probably similar to your work. You're just in that mode. And then there's not a lot of extra time left. So it's, you know, sleep or pray or listen or read or whatever the free time allows. You you had when when you left the real estate marketing, you did that a number of years right after college, San Diego. Then you went up to San Francisco because there was you're involved in maybe the tech industry up there. And then I, I guess you left that area because you're back down to San Diego. Is that correct? Yep. So I went up to the Bay Area in 2010 and um, because I just felt like it's where I needed to be. My family was in the Bay Area my brothers were in the city at, at that point or going to be headed there soon. And so it was buzzing. I mean, Uber wasn't even around yet. So that was just to kind of set the tone. And like, we had to call a taxi 
wait out on the side of the road. Maybe it would show up, maybe not, <laughs> or just take the bus to get around. So it was a really fantastic time to be in the city, to see this growth and of, of, and splurge of, of technological innovation. Uber was a, a first fun one that we, what we witnessed. I was working in the financial district. I remember I could get even on the cable car. I could walk seven streets over and then hop on the cable car and take that down this gigantic hill to work and hop off. And it felt so, it just, it felt so fun to be young and working and living in the city. And yeah, it was fantastic. I worked at a financial services firm that kind of allowed me to explore my operational talents and managerial, you know, you know, experience and, and offering there. And so I spent four years working on accounting, finance, managing a few teams and kind of the operational aspect of the business. And because it was, I don't know, I think they probably wouldn't, I think normally they would probably have given the job to someone else a little more experienced, but the owner of the company, the, the president, we just, we connected during our interview and it's kind of funny. I always told him, like, I think we've had a past life together. So we were, we were connecting again. Mm. He was this British man from, you know, had an Indian background and it was just very close to him and his wife and his son. And we just knew how to work really well together. And, and I also could kind of challenge him in certain ways without insulting him or hurting him, but just open him up to seeing things. And it was a really beautiful and really rad experience for me as a you know mid-20s person. And he allowed me to take on a lot of leadership roles and, and gave me the confidence I needed to launch into my, my next career. So you have what's what's interesting, let's say a tech background. What's your thought on the advancements of AI and like this these chat GPTs and deep fake with mm-hmm. voiceovers and computer C- CGIs? Do you do you have any thoughts of where you think certain powers to be are trying to steer mankind in, in the future? And do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I'm talking in generalities, but you, yeah. you kind of know what I'm. I do. I yeah. I, this is, this can go down to be a very interesting conversation, but I think I'll first start with on the surface, for instance, take this chat GPT, right? My husband and I've looked at it a few times together and he kind of joked, you've always said you want me to write you a poem. Now look what I can do. You know, (laughs) you know, it was just a few inputs, you know, about me. And then this beautiful poem was written. Right. And he talked about it in terms of just reducing some overhead, you know, create this financial model and, and, you know, it can, it can be useful in those ways. So I can understand how something like AI can be useful. Yes. But, you know, Overall, I think us as, as humans and as creators, it's, it's us, it's our human consciousness that is, that is wanting to create this in conjunction with creation source. I've been trying to play around with this idea. I used to just think, you know, God was God and, and, you know, there was evil and I'm, and this is kind of a recent development for me in the last few weeks, trying to explore and think that actually God or the universe or, you know, collective consciousness, whatever label suits you. And I know you're, you're good about that, you know, is, is kind of at the core of everything. And, and it, this expansion is, is happening constantly contrast. And us as humans, we're here and we're playing around and toying with this idea of, of AI and, and we're letting it grow and build. And it's going to, it's going to take a nefarious, you know, path because, you know, there are, you know, thoughts rooted in that. Right. I think it, is, is it's, we can't say that it's just going to be 
you know, tied up in a little bow and going to be this great present to humanity. And I don't believe that. I think as with all things, there comes, you know, this outer bounds of, of how we explore something and use a technology. And it's us as it's up to us as humans, how we, what we do with that power. I don't know if you've, I don't know where you're at in terms of the good versus evil or, or, you know, this idea of AI being kind of the ultimate you know, far left of, of evil, right? Even past, you know, the devil or Satan, you know, these words that we've commonly heard or I've commonly heard growing up in a religious organization, but even this, so AI, you know, is is perhaps the generator behind all of that is something that I've kind of playing around with. So I'm I'm kind of conflicted, I guess, in my thoughts that you can kind of tell I'm I'm still trying to sort out, you know, what this is, but I do, I can say, that our our intention and our knowing that we are creators of our reality can supersede uh, whatever AI has in store. I, I firmly believe that. I think nothing is going to ever surpass natural, our natural existence, our natural being, our natural oneness, and in, in connection with source. Although AI may be may have stemmed from a human organic idea, it's not. It is not us. It is is an no. extension of us, but not but not us. So I still remain very positive about everything. I'm just also kind of a positive person. I can take in a lot of negative data and downloads and conspiracies, quote unquote, that I, that I feel are just, yeah, there are, there are just truths, right. About the current unfortunate state of how our world is being run. And I still firmly believe and create a world that I think is what I want it to be, not what they want it to be. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And I, I think uh, I wish everyone had that same mindset. I think a lot of people are unaware and they're just kind of coasting along and they probably don't recognize, maybe they don't care that they have creative potential. And it almost seems like they're in neutral going, going along with the crowd and I always reference Joe Sixpack. You know, he's eating chicken wings, drinking his favorite beer, and watching NFL. And it's mm-hmm. life is need to be a lot more engaged than than that. But I've heard reports. Let me make this statement and get your viewpoint on it. I've heard reports, and I I can, I'd say right now I I believe these would be pretty accurate. That maybe within five or seven years, not that long. Some are saying less than five years. So let's just say five years from now, the advancements of AI and these chat GPT type platforms, close to 80% of jobs will be replaced by robotics and AI. And Mm -hmm. there'd be a high level of unemployment, thus the need to introduce a universal basic income because of so many people being outsourced by this type of technology and then universal basic income would give a lot of power to the governments or banks issuing that because they could cut you off or reduce your universal basic income if you didn't get in line or took the line, so to speak. So that I look at that, go, Oh, I don't, I don't think that's very good news, but do you think that 
is a potential scenario that could happen or or am I I think I, yeah. I tend to be more negative than positive you're probably more positive than I am no so, and I think about all those scenarios and I think it lines up perfectly with what their the future that these these groups envision for us right we can call them whatever you want mm-hmm. but the the people that you know are think that they run the show, let's just say. Yeah, they, they are objective as, as control and they are they don't think in terms of four year, eight year terms. They're thinking over centuries, right? In terms of how to continue to control this population. And they, they do it in these ways that are seemingly, you know, helpful to humanity at first and then come with a really heavy price tag later on. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I both feel the same about, you know, the you know, universal basic income leading to just, you know, we've got these central, central bank digital currencies, you know, wanting to launch CBDCs. It's just more, you know, akin to what we see going on, you know, in China, right? There's just surveillance at every corner. And then that's tied into your, you know, your financial freedom and, and access. So mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're definitely inching our way. I don't know if it's maybe even leaping our way now towards that. And yeah, this world, I feel like almost sometimes there's like two paths forward. And I mean, I'm, I, I kind of get to get into like the galactic view of things like universally, you know, what, what is the, what is the intention for this earth and this species? And I, I do believe that there's just been too much negativity that's allowed, that's been allowed here to persist. I think that was, I'm trying to think about how to explain this. Uh, I think our, our advancement or our evolution as a human species and as, as a spiritual set, you know, I think we've, I think we've been hindered because of, you know, dark energy and entities that have come here. And I do hope and believe that there are galactic and universal aids coming to help us. I don't I don't think that they're going to totally save us. I think it's on, on us. And that kind of comes back to this, you know, realization that we're all creators and we can create what, what we want. Maybe we create ourselves out of these menial tasks and jobs and we have more time to, you know, spend time like Socrates did and, and think and, you know, and really play with like, what is this life and get into, you know, theology or just different fantastic, you know, just discussions on what, you know, what is life? And we can have this space and time for that. You know, we've been commuting, like you were, you know, mentioning earlier, you know, an hour, two hours a day, we've, you know, are we supposed to just be, you know, robots ourselves commuting and doing this work? Or is there more to this life, you know, experiencing, experiencing the now and creating and even maybe even beyond what we know in this earthly third dimension, you know, creating, creating more beautifully and vividly in other dimensions. So I do to answer your question. Yes, I, I do see that as a as a negative path, and my way to combat that is really to just and I had a, and I had a, actually an interesting conversation with God, in my opinion, about this. I'll have to maybe if there's time I can share it. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I was I was talking and I was having these thoughts about this world, right, that you're talking about, and how it's just so obvious that this is the intention, and you know, things are going to go to SHIT, right. And so I'm, I'm laying in bed, I'm laying next to my daughter, she'd fallen asleep. And um, I was, I was just appreciating and enjoying this time where I had to be nowhere and do nothing. And I could just think and pray. And as I started to do that, I get my, you know, kind of truth goosebumps all over that tell me that my, my spirit guides are with me. Mm-hmm. Um, that might sound a little woo woo, but no, you know, I, my, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So my, so my, my guides are with me and they're, and I said, I'd love to just 
and like talk about this. And I said, and I said, why does this feel so good? And they said, it feels so good because this is what you're supposed to be doing. And then we kind of launched into this conversation around with the television and hypnosis and that we've all been in this slumber and we're awakening now. Yeah. And what's happened is that these, you know, these, the, the, the people that think they're in charge have been hurling rocks at us and we've been ducking and trying to get out of the way, but there's been massive, you know, loss and damage because of the rocks that they've thrown at us. And what they said after that was that we're now at the bottom of the rock pile. It's, it's the little pebbles that uh, the little pebbles that you get because you're at the end, the, the, the rocks have been crunching each other and putting all this pressure. So you've got these little rocks and now they're throwing not just a few boulders, but they're throwing just a ton of rocks, pebbles at us. And it feels like we're just being pelted from every direction. And there's just so much coming our way. And it, it's because that's the truth. And they said, if we can withstand this, you know, they will have no more rocks to throw and we will have, we will have, you know, outlasted and beat our, beat our enemy. And, and then the conversation kind of went into, well, how do we, what do we do throughout all this? What, you know, what, how do we combat this outside of just standing up, right? Or just kind of trying to put our shield up and block some rocks. And, and the answer that I got was, was really what Jesus said, which was, you know, be the light. And I didn't really understood what he meant when he said that. And I, you know, I, I kind of recalled it. I was trying to figure out what it was. And they told me it was be the, you know, we are the light of the world is what he said. And I said, well, what does that mean? Right. And then as soon as I, as soon as this information started coming in, they kind of showed me this image of, we all have like a flashlight within us and some of them it's, they're all on, but the, the dimmer could just be really small, right. And really light. You don't see it. Well, have you ever met someone and their energy is just radiant? You know, like your sister to me is someone like that. You know, she's just, yeah. her light is turned on. You cannot see her light. And we all have the ability to be a we, we all have the ability to turn our flashlights up to the highest power. And, and that, and that is the only way that, that really blinds our enemy, you know, is being the light and realizing that we are the light. And what does that mean? It means being our authentic self, stepping into joy, finding the here and the now and getting into our alignment. You know, I don't know if you follow Esther Hicks or Abraham, Abraham Hicks teachings, but they talk about getting into the vortex and uh, that's really our job is to do that, to get to that state and to shine our light. And uh, I think if we can do that, then, then our, our future is going to look brighter and, and more beautiful. Do you, do you think we, and we can have, we can always have a part two. That's almost always the case on interviews because yeah. you really can't get everything sandwiched in an hour, hour, 10 minute interview. Right. But do you think, or let, let me, let me make a statement on my thinking and then get your take on it. I, if, if I think that there are the, the dark forces or entities, there, there's an influence and an energy out there that kind of wants to get mankind into a zombie-like hypnotic state. You had mentioned that and mm -hmm. not realize the potential we have of, of being creators, certainly some type of force and an intelligence and in existence that wants to get us away from God's source, the, the divine, maybe wants us to have our light dimmed, that inner light that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, my thinking 
presently is we would need some type of non-human help or intervention to help overcome these forces. So I think that there's, let's say, good guys out there and that you can receive that help if you're spiritually inclined. I use the term organic. If you're analog, organic, connected to nature, you will get help. You won't be abandoned. And that I know these are oversimplified terms, but I'm going to use it anyway for the sake of time. That uh, good's always more powerful than than evil. Mm-hmm. L- love, kindness, and joy is always a more powerful energy than greed, jealousy, envy. But I'm wondering if there's a segment of humanity that isn't awake spiritually. They're, they're kind of hypnotic. They're involved in groupthink, going with the flow. I don't see how those individuals will, will advance unless they get out of their trance-like state and make a reversal and, and they're more awake and engaged spiritually. I don't think that they will receive the, the help that they need unless they kind of get their act together and do some action on their their part to align themselves to get the insight, the wisdom, and the aid from the helpers, the multidimensional right. helpers. Because right. I don't, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, that I, I use the the generic Joe six pack type, but that stereotype, the, the individual who's just really never talks about anything spiritual, but they're into plastic mm-hmm. and leather new cars and trucks or about work and always about making money and things. And they're, you kind of look at them and go like, well, they really haven't graduated sixth grade, not emotionally and spiritually. They're still kind of, they might be in an adult, adult body, but they're still kid-like. You're like, I, I don't see how they're going to make it. I think that they would fall victim to, to the bad guys. And I mm-hmm. only see people who are awake spiritually and advancing getting more wisdom, more, but I see a split in humanity. I see a small group getting more spiritual, mm-hmm. connecting the dots. And I see a, another segment that just seems to be in neutral, idling along and being pushed towards this AI, pushed towards universal basic income, pushed towards accepting loose moral standards. I, yeah. I don't see that. I don't see, unless this is the negative part of me, I don't see all of humanity waking up and really turning us around. I just see one group going one way, the other group, the majority going the other. Yeah. I, I I've, I've played around with that idea as well. And almost, you know, I do still think, I do believe that multiple realities can, you know, occur concurrently and not to talk about timing timelines, but you know, and this idea of time and our, you know, third dimensional reality is very linear, linear, but I, I, have kind of dived into this thought that, you know, it's more of like a sandwich and like kind of top down, more vertical, kind of stacked on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps in this reality, it will look like what you described, you know, this small group, you know, or whatever size group it is that is in neutral and stuck in neutral or even just their head in the sand. Right. And then the other groups evolving. And uh, yeah, I, I do think about that a lot because just, 
you know, you want family and friends to be there with you on this journey, right? You care about them. And you, we've kind of seen examples of what happens when you're a neutral, you know, you, our health is compromised in so many ways, you know, air, food, and you have to be aware of these things in order to, to move past them. You're not going to be totally free from their effects, but if you just being aware is, is a huge step, right. To sidestepping these things that they've wanted that want to introduce to us to, to, to harm us. And sometimes it's tough because I get the feedback like, Oh, you're, you know, you're being negative. And I thought I'm, I'm just trying to be aware of what's out there. And I, I don't want to be blind or naive. I just, I want to know. And so you've got this other population that thinks that just wanting to know is being negative, then yeah, there's going to be an uphill you know, road for them. And what I've been trying to just focus on is that light part of, I don't know what their, when their soul has decided that they're going to turn that switch on. I just feel grateful that my soul, you know, did that a few years ago. I'm kind of new to waking up to just the idea that, yeah, there's toxins in our air and in our food. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know some people have known about that for decades. I can't imagine knowing about it for for decades and still, you know, it's got to be heavy, you know, just thinking, gosh, this, you know, this isn't what life is supposed to be like. And Mm -hmm. I keep coming back to that. Like, this isn't what God source creator intended for us. But then I have the contrary thought that's, well, we're, we're creating this through contrast. You know, you get, you have, that's the only way you really can, can grow is experiencing these these deep and meaningful degrees of, of, I just kept, keep saying it contrast with, you know, with, within this world, within this planet. Now, I do think that there's just some atrocities that are, that are unspeakable and that, you know, could make, can make us cry thinking about it, that most people don't know about, you know, things going on in tunnels and happening, what's happening to children. And that's the piece that I think is where we have, you know, we have, you know, galactic friends coming in and helping us because it has gotten very alien, right? That with, I mean, I believe with the beings that are here and if they really, I mean, if they, if they're shape-shifting or if they are humans or not, you know, who they are and what they're doing and how they've been able to negatively infiltrate our, our human species in this planet. Mm -hmm. I don't think our, our military alone would, would, would be caught, would be able to, you know, make a dent in that. So I do think we've had, we've had help and we'll continue to have help. And just knowing that we have that help and thinking about that reality and creating that reality is something I, I definitely focus on. I can't wait to explore this universe and find out the hidden truths of, of what, you know, this, this planet is all about and what its shape is like and just all the things that's been, that's been hidden from us. So it's just a matter of us pushing hard enough on this side to outweigh that side, I think. And, you know, and using our voice and using our light, like what you're doing, you know, you're, you're bringing awareness to this topic that's been, you know, quiet for so long. I mean, you probably, I mean, I can imagine being in the eighties, there wasn't a channel like this, or you, you couldn't, you know, there's no Twitter, right? So it was maybe a book someone had read or, you know, ideas yeah. aren't, aren't sharing as, as quickly, right? I mean, now we're in this, this rapid speed of information traveling so fast. And, I, I, you know, of course, everything is, is a double-edged sword so that can be used in a positive way or in a negative way. So using, using this, the speed at which information travels is one thing. But I also think it's this idea that we're tuning our, where our frequency is, is frequency is, is changing as well. And being around other, other souls that are vibrating at, at a similar frequency, we're, we're helping each other tune. And mm-hmm. I think we can also tune other, other people next to us that may not, may not know it even, but we're, we're maybe perhaps tuning them or allowing them to, to vibrate up a bit so that they can be able to 
at least just be open to hearing something that may be that may seem pretty wild and just plant that seed and let it, you know, percolate from there and grow from there and not be so standoffish to what these ideas could mean. Yeah. I think that's the best I can hope for is I, I just try to plant seeds and present unusual thoughts and concepts mm. when I do these shows and that, that, that might jar some people's thinking or spark curiosity to want to investigate uh, certain concepts that I pre present or questions that I had raised during a program like this. And that's probably the the best influence that I, I could have. Do you, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think one, one last thing, and we can always do a part two, get our schedules lined up in the a month or two and do a, a second segment. But do you think individuals like you and I that will have a different reality and a different future than the masses who are still kind of slumbering and in a zombie sleep-like state? I think we will because we know we're creators and we we know we can create our reality. And I, because they do not know that they're creators, they think their reality is 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 being delivered to them or is, 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 is already kind of set. Right. And so I think that because we know we are creators then, and we, we know that ability and we can easily tap into it. It's like a, a practice, right? We, we flex and exercise that muscle, then our reality will be, will look different now. Will we be on another planet or will we be, you know, maybe we already are, you know, maybe we already are kind of, you know, coexisting in this other reality that in this third dimension, we don't physically see or feel it, but, you know, and if we were to, you know, move up a few dimensions or take a view from outer space in, we would, we would notice that I'm open to that idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, 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 uh, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we're a little bit, a little bit past an hour, which is good, but it's, remember I told you before how, it goes real fast, doesn't it? It really does. This has been As so you probably, enjoyable. <laughs> when you said you were with your husband, you're out to eat maybe two and a half hours or so, and you didn't mention work once, that that evening probably seemed to go by real quick, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. When, yeah, when there's, when you're tuning into the outer bounds of what this life can be, and, and you're with people that have a similar appetite for, for conversation, like spiritual mm -hmm. and there's these depths outside of right what what the football game was right i mean I, we don't just track any of that but when you connect with other souls that are that are of that same spirit yeah the time really does just feel like it it snaps by and but it's also at the same time really grounding and really really good you know we are we just move so fast i mean i know i do still i'm trying i'm working on that slowing down so finding ways to slow down and savor and milk the the now the experience the conversation what's being said i mean this is why i enjoy your program so much it's just such a treat to to just listen to two individuals share their experiences and just know and, and honor everyone's experience and bring some light to it and some and some love that's that really right. just fills me up the most <laughs> and also knowing that we're not alone there's there's a lot of us Right. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're out there and uh, to leverage off each other's wisdom, each other's kindness, 
their energy. That's a huge plus. So I always look forward to these interviews like, like yours when we had, had planned to do it today. I couldn't, I couldn't wait for, for Monday to come and then the other interviews. Now that I do get excited and look forward to because it's uplifting. So when we when we conclude this interview, I'll still be thinking about the comments that you made, and I'll do a little bit of editing and load this up, and then I'll listen to it when it's on Stitcher or Spotify, and then I forward it to a lot of my friends. Here's my latest Ethereal Underground episode. I have Rachel, and then they'll text me. I'll get an email or text on how they liked it. So uh, that's something very enjoyable, and I'm glad that you came today for the episode 47. And then you you see this these ethereal undergrounds, don't you? Do you I do. do you, Spotify? I okay, follow so them, yeah. So you'll, I mean, I can text you a link, but th- this will pop up later yep. tonight or tomorrow after I do the editing. And then maybe uh, your husband might be interested in listening to it or some of your friends and get feedback on what they thought. But uh, Rachel, I wanted to thank you for being our guest on Ethereal Underground. We'll have you back again. There's a couple others that are due back for part two. And we can just stay in touch, the email or texting as to, you know, give it maybe six, eight weeks for a part two, if you're up to it. I would love that. You know, I think I was a little bit timid and I just kept thinking, gosh, I'm just kind of an ordinary mom who's a bit out there, a bit woo-woo, who has these wild ideas, but, uh, you know, pretty ordinary, but compared to, you know, just, you've had just like, you've had fascinating people on your show. So I really feel it's an honor to, to be included in, in their company and really just enjoyed this time with you and getting to know you more and would love to, to do this again sometime. Thank you so much. Yep. You're welcome. Tell, tell your husband, I said, hi, and allowing me to steal you away for a little bit over an hour. <laughs> and yeah, we'll, we'll do this again. That sounds fantastic. I look forward to it. Okay.